So thanks for that, Gareth. I'm so impressed that you've managed to bring up perfume and Chanel number five twice in a podcast because <laughs> you did tell this story before about smelling like cat piss. Did I? So you know I'm an authentic <laughs> person, but also we're not going to get an endorsement from Chanel now. This is... <laughs> Never, that's, ever. That's <laughs> Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Pleasure of the Text podcast, a shared and manager space where readers and writers make meaning together. We are hosts, Shannon Gareth, and today we want to introduce our friend and fellow writer, Sean. How are you today, Sean? Hi, I'm good, thanks. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. We're really looking forward to having you and talking to you because uh, we're actually part of a collective writing group, aren't we, Sean? Yep. You know, in that group, we offer feedback on each other's writing, but you've actually gone through a couple of edits. So, Gareth, did you want to talk about what editing processes uh, Shana's gone through on her work? Uh, yes. Well, um, I suppose the first thing, though, would be to define the nature of the editing process. We've given it a bunch of different names over the years because it's been years, hasn't it, Sean? Hello, by the way. It's been um, a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so currently... Actually, how do you guys know each other? I was one of Gareth's students. Um, I was doing creative writing uh, modules in my degree. I did a degree in English and I, I met Gareth through a couple of those modules and I was absolutely stoked when he asked me to be a part of his writing group because I felt like I'd made it. <laughs> You've made it. And they asked me in the group. But yeah, so that's that's how we met, and we've stayed friends and and fellow writers ever since. Yeah. So how many years has that been that you've been part of the creative writing group? Um, well, I, I finished my degree eight years ago. I it took me six years because I did it all remotely while I was working and raising the kids. So I'd say it would be close to ten or twelve years. Yeah, like that's that. a fair while, so, isn't it? It is, yeah. And Sean, yeah. you're one of a very select group, obviously teaching. I guess realistically, I would have had well over a thousand students. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Not, I don't teach maths, so you know I, I wouldn't know. But it would have been a lot. I, I think, don't know uh, either, so that's fine. <laughs> it would have been six hundred a year, actually. Yeah, so it would have been thousands. Um, and really it's only been a handful of, of people that I've, I've looked to workshop with. Uh, and the uh, criteria for that really is, you know, some promising writing, but also, uh, the right kind of attitude is probably the biggest thing. Um, yeah, a writing attitude. People always say, you know, what makes a writer? And I think, Besides the act of writing, it's uh, having a writer's attitude, yeah, a seriousness yeah. in terms of feedback and development. And what's well, think, a writing um, attitude, just so our audience knows what you mean? Yeah, okay. So it's, well, I guess it, it begins with, you know, when, when I observe students receiving feedback, you know, their approach to receiving feedback is something I pay attention to. Um, and you know, how, uh, 
how collaborative they are in, in, in effect. Um, you know, the degree of ownership they're willing to give up during the space of the workshop uh, and, you know, the sort of recognition that to get feedback, you need people to feel confident that they can make a misstep or perhaps not be 100% sensitive as they're, you know, giving you their thoughts. Uh, and yeah, Sean's always been excellent at that. And then the other thing that I noticed was a sharp uptick in the quality of her work across the course. Uh, and that's, yeah. uh, that's always a good sign because it means the feedback is, is being listened to and development is occurring. So th that would be it, a writer's attitude. You know, there's no point where you go, well, I've made it now. I'm a great writer. You can't mark it by publishing because really getting published is not nearly so much of an achievement as it once was. And, and so really, you know, if you're going to nut down what a writer is, it's, it's someone who, who writes, uh, and, but also someone who reads, and, and particularly specifically in the sense of they read their own writing and they read the feedback they're given and interpret it with uh, a degree of, you know, critical thinking skills. And that for me is a writer. Yeah. Well, I sort of, I, I concur with that. I, I, I approached it like I went to do the degree because at that point in time they didn't offer a creative writing degree. So the closest I could get was an English degree. But my primary purpose of going to uni was to learn how to be a better writer. So to, to do that, I had to be a sponge. I had to absorb, you know, what people were saying about my work and really kind of look at, you know, because you do a lot of shared writing, you, you read a lot of works, different works, works that I would never have picked up in a million years um, and learning from those texts how to, you know, be a better writer and how to not be stuck in, in that whole, I mean, you, you can sort of approach it with a certain kind of arrogance and, and I think that's your biggest drawback is if you sit there and go, but I'm, I'm such a good writer, you need to, like, break yourself down to I just need to learn and that's how I approached it. So, And I still, I still feel like I do that to this day. Yeah, like yeah. I said, and so, a writer's attitude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so you've gone to university, you've done your creative writing course and in that meantime, I mean, you're an accomplished woman. You also are working full time. You've written a couple of novels. You've finished those, yeah. those novels. And yeah. so I think that's when uh, the creative writing group came into effect. So you finished your novel and you wanted feedback to make it better because, you know, you've got the writer's attitude. What did yeah. you do from there and how did that look, getting feedback on that novel? So in the, in the writer's group, you know, I would present – some some work and we would all workshop that you know what whether it was a chapter or just an excerpt that would help guide me along and during that workshopping process of course you know you discuss different parts of what the work's going to look like um I might have an idea of this character becomes hostile or something during this part of the of the work and then we would workshop why and, and motivations and, and but that's not going to work because it doesn't make sense. Um, and then, yeah, all the way through I did that and I had that critical thinking 
for myself because I learned how to do it in the in the writers group and in the workshopping process. So then um, I when I finished it, uh, somebody actually read through the whole thing for the first time that wasn't me, which was pretty scary. So how did you deal with your uh, your anxieties around that sort of thing? Well, I mean, I guess I just pushed through it because I knew that I needed the feedback. I needed people to read it and tell me if there was some glaring issues with it or alternatively I was really hopeful that everyone would read it and go, this is a masterpiece, just publish. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's never been the case. Nobody's ever said that to me, which is, you know, you know, a shame. But I'm humble and and, and um, I'm learning. So yeah, so and I need I just I needed someone to tell me if it was worthwhile pursuing or if it needed to change. Um, do you think yeah. that your resilience was was improved at all by having workshops, smaller bits and pieces? Previously, do you, do you think that gave you a certain match fitness or do you think it wouldn't make a difference? Oh, it made a huge difference. I mean, a lot of the times when I finished a, a writer's group, um, I would go home so much more inspired and I would definitely work harder and try and incorporate the things that we discussed. It was, it was definitely something that kept me going, like, the writers group was inspirational always, especially when we were meeting um, regularly. It was uh, every, I don't think there was one writers group that I walked away and went, oh, that was a bit shit. Oh, can I say that? Um, yeah, you that can was, say you can, that. <laughs> it's a little bit like Weight Watchers, um, yeah. isn't it? Uh, you you well, don't want so, to show up for the weigh-in and sort of go, well, I, you know, nothing has been achieved. Oops. Uh, yeah. I always find yeah. with writing so, groups, you, you feel a certain pressure to like have something. Yeah. And, and I mean, I can say with absolute certainty that without the writers group, I probably would have stopped writing altogether because it's taught me so much. I've, I've learned so much just from continually workshopping and reading other people's work as well. So it's not just about me, it's about other people's work too, which shows me, you know, how other people think and, and write and, you know, I get hints and tips from them as well. Yeah. So what do you think the benefits are of being in a creative writing group? You've already mentioned a couple, but can you think mm -hmm. anything more beyond just getting constant feedback and that slight accountability pressure? It definitely, definitely learning. I've learned so much. Um, some of the things that get picked up about my work, like bad habits that I have, um, you know, if I sort of come across that every couple of times that I'm, I'm, you know, workshopping my work and it's the same thing, people are saying the same thing, I'm like, oh, okay, I really need to listen to that feedback. So like I said, learning from what other people are sharing as well um, and being able to give them feedback is because um, you have to think about it completely differently than your own work. So, yeah, definitely just the things that I've learned. And I'm assuming that there is, but the sense of vulnerability going into a group with other writers and sharing your work, which is so close to you, your hard work, how did you overcome that vulnerability to get to that kind of 
space where you feel safe to share something that you've worked so hard on? It's nerve wracking at the start, but I think I began to really enjoy it um, because I could see my growth and I wanted um, my fellow writers group uh, people to see my growth as well. You do you do a lot of workshopping when you're doing uni, especially when you're doing it online. So there's a lot of virtual, you know, workshopping there. And you do get over that, that you know, that kind of nervousness and uncertainty around how your work's going to be received. As long as you keep that mentality that, you know, this is a learning experience rather than, you know, I just want to be praised for my stuff. And so typically the way that our creative writing group works is we share pieces of about a thousand words in length and we all talk about it. We give feedback, actions that people can take on it. But then we did something different with your complete novel, uh, Sean. Did you want to talk more on that, Gareth, what we ended up doing with Sean's completed manuscript? Yes, yes. So basically I, I have a some something of a background in, in publishing. And I used to do um, all three levels of editing, so structural editing, copy editing, and proofreading. What I wanted to do with Sean, and I, I think Sean, it was the first time I'd ever tried to do this sort of thing with anyone was with you uh, some years ago now. Uh, I wanted to, in a sense, mirror the structural edit uh, from a from a feedback point of view. Now. You know, there are manuscript assessment services and uh, they do what is sometimes called a developmental edit, although I'm not really sure it is an edit per se. It's, it's really feedback. But in terms of this sort of concept, the, the idea of structural editing, which, you know, when I was in publishing, my understanding of that was looking at the narrative structure, the themes, characterization, uh, and so forth. The structural edit is, is not deep enough, I would suggest. And in any case, there, there are these terms floating around. So people will use interchangeably structural edit, substantive effort, uh, edit, and developmental edit. Uh, and I was thinking leading up to this podcast, you know, I, I can't keep changing my mind about what I'm calling this. Uh, and so I, I've decided structural doesn't make sense because structural is not really deep enough. Structure is part of a deeper reading. And I think the, the sort of uh, the pluralism, polyphony of voices is in a way, it's like having a chorus, a Greek chorus that you're, you're playing to. Um, but I think the person, the person who is in control in this situation inevitably is, is the writer. Um, but you're getting something that is a little bit like what it would be to be published, all these different reactions. And those reactions, all those readings are correct because, again, you know, you can't, uh, a person can't read your book and be like, well, I think this is rubbish. And you can't magically appear next to them and go, no, no. Uh, in actual fact, it's very good and let me explain why. So it doesn't work that way. So, so seeing all these different readings is another stage within the creative process uh, and I think you know the workshop group is in that sense the idea of being part of a community makes far more sense for a writer than the idea of being isolated 
uh, although you are isolated at times, you're less of an island than part of an archipelago. Uh, and, and so, yeah, so basically a substantive edit is what I'm now saying we were trying to do, which is finding the essence of Sean's novel and seeing if, uh, and if you want to think about the essence, I guess you could say the essence is where the effect on the reader meets the way that effect was achieved. Was that the question? I didn't yeah, know it was such it a long is. answer. I've forgotten. <laughs> well, we, we can segue back because you made a really good point that it's part of the creative process, this substantive edit, because I think what a lot of writers make mistake of is plowing through to the end, writing this novel, not sharing it with anyone. And then I think we all have this mentality that, oh, my God, I've just spent so much time on it. It's a masterpiece. It's ready to go. But you haven't had that experience of seeing the reactions of uh, those people that you trust in your writing community. And so it really is part of that creative process, like the creating iterations from the feedback that you get. And um, you've done a few actual edits, Sean. Um, before we go into kind of the different experiences that you had with each of those substantive edits, did you want to talk about your current novel that you're working on now, like a quick, synop a quick synopsis of the book that you are working on? Okay, so basically we have a, a couple who are going away on a holiday and uh, during the flight to their destination, one of them goes missing. They're midair. There's some turbulence. When the um, the lead character realises her girlfriend is missing, there's no real reason why. Like you can't go missing when you're 30,000 feet up in the air or however. Um, so therein, you know, begins the mystery of, of how this person went missing. So we have this character who is um, distraught because um, her partner's gone missing and, you know, she's had a lot of trauma in her life. So she's also got some, a lot of anxiety and everything like that. So losing her partner at this point in time is, is, is traumatizing to her. Um, and she finds herself in this small town in uh, northern New South Wales. And, um, the people in the town are a little bit odd. Um, and they're a little bit secretive and there's a few little strange things going on there. And during the course of her trying to figure out what happened to her girlfriend, because nobody seems to be trying too hard to find her girlfriend and there's no answers, she realises that her girlfriend somehow has ended up travelling into another dimension, the multiverse per se. And she does find herself accidentally going into another dimension herself um, and then she determines that she's going to find her girlfriend if she has to figure out how to travel into multiple different dimensions or if the one, the first one that she finds herself in is the one that she goes to. She does travel through quite a few and they're all, each world is experiencing um, a different level of catastrophe. So, you know, she has to navigate those worlds and still try and find her girlfriend through that process. Um, when you say okay. worlds, though, you're you're uh, you're more talking about the same world, aren't you? In in a in a sort of a geographical. It's the same space. world experiencing different, yeah, different elements of disaster or not disaster, depending on the on the world that she's on. But yeah, she knows that they're different worlds. They're not her worlds. 
but the certain characters recur. So these are worlds returning in difference as she as yeah. she moves yeah. between them. And it really does, yeah. uh, don't you think, Shannon? It really does put a bit of a defamiliarized twist into you know, in my love, I would follow you to the ends of the earth. Um, going a bit further this time. Mm, uh, yeah, that's going to seem really like does. a backhanded compliment from now on, isn't it? I follow <laughs> you to the ends of the earth. It's like, yeah, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> but um, I think you did a great job of summarizing that. That was, mm-hmm. I really want to read it. Um, and so, you know, we all sat down, we did a structural edit on this particular novel. Did you want to talk about your experience during that substantive edit? May I just quickly jump in uh, just to say yeah, sure. I think it's important just to get through the mundane bits. It was over two days, wasn't it? Um, it was, yeah. Now, we've done a couple recently and I'm a little challenged when it comes to my memory. Did we do two days in a row or did we do like two Saturdays in a row. I don't recall how we did it. I think we did two days in a row. Oh, my God, now you're stretching my memory. Yeah, it was over. in the middle of that we had a pizza party. (laughs) That's right, we did too. (laughs) Great way to break up and edit. So how many how many pages is your not it's it's about it's over four hundred, isn't it? I, I don't know. Sorry. I could tell you that there's about forty chapters in that version. And each chapter is around three thousand words. Mm. That is a big book. And so we, you know, over two days, I guess if you were doing a slim novel, uh sort of two hundred and fifty published pages, I I think they were long days, but they weren't torturous and I would say that if you were doing a shorter novel you could probably allocate a single day to the uh, to the edit yeah. there's a few other things just the boring sort of stuff I just want to define so what what we were yeah. doing was we were it, ideally people would have read the manuscript before they came and did the edit I think though uh, my feeling was to avoid disappointment and also rescheduling and postponements and all that sort of stuff. It seems safer to suggest that we'll just read it in the moment on the day. And of course, that is how, um, you know, readers will typically read a book. They won't read it twice to make sure that they liked it. So basically what we were doing was I think primarily, uh, Sean, you were reading aloud. We we're following along. Uh, and then we would have a very, very quick bit of feedback at the end of each chapter, people's thoughts and so forth. Um, and then really for the people giving feedback, the challenge was to start putting their reading together, trying to see how their reading held together, uh, to make some sort of cohesive sense. So, so it wasn't just a matter of flinging. Uh, feedback at Sean and saying good luck. Uh, there was also, uh, you know, a, an extra task that we all had to do. We had to think, you know, what is this adding up to for us? And, and it's not necessarily what it adds up to for Sean. Um, but typically a reading, you know, if you enjoy it, it will have a shape. It won't just be random nonsense. Uh, and so if you can define yeah. that shape, it's interesting to see all the ways people can come up with slightly altered shapes based on the fact that we're all different and have different sort of responses. So that was basically it, wasn't it? And then we had a pizza party in the middle. So that was the process. Yeah, then we had a pizza party. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> Best part of the weekend. <laughs> right. And um, how many people were sitting in on that structural edit? So I, I believe there was three other people. Four. No, four. So one, one, um, one of the members uh, wasn't able to make the morning session but came for the afternoon session, um, which in hindsight I don't think that's a good idea um, simply because um, they hadn't read ahead. So they sort of started halfway through where we were at and then they were unable to kind of get all the context. Um, so I wouldn't recommend somebody jumping in halfway through. Um, so, yeah, so there was four, four people um, for the majority of it and, um, and myself, obviously. So uh, I think... In terms of, of how it went, I believe, Gareth, we kind of skimmed through every chapter and then at the end of it, everyone gave their feedback for that chapter. Oh, so we didn't have the read aloud thing. Um, we didn't. We did that for my very first structural edit and it oh, took okay. a long time as well. Um, well, I guess there's two good bits to keep out of this then, isn't there? Perhaps if you want to get through it in a weekend... You have to avoid the reading aloud, which I, you know, I really yeah. endorse the concept of reading aloud, but just from a practicality's Same. sake. And the other thing yeah. is, yeah, we shouldn't have, in in hindsight, it seems quite obvious, but but it well, apparently wasn't obvious to me at the time. But if you can't show up for the entirety of the sessions, it's best not to show up at all. Um, I yeah, think I think probably, that's probably uh, better. So there's two, two little yeah. things we've learned. And should you have a guider, so someone who's not the writer guiding the substantive edit? Are you asking or is me that or Gareth? Not necessary? I'm asking Gareth. Oh, God. I was thinking, I'm glad I'm not being asked this. A guider. <laughs> um, can you explain that a little more? Sorry. I'm just, yeah. What do you mean by a guider exactly? So we've just finished reading the chapter, you give feedback and someone's just like, oh, okay, let's jump on to the next chapter. Because I think it is a big weekend and you can start talking about a whole bunch of different stuff if you're not kind of getting herded along to, you know, the end of this novel. Yeah. I mean, you've got to balance this stuff though because sometimes a conversation is extremely uh, illuminating and trying to decide whether it is or it isn't, I guess, could be one person's role. Um, I think it's useful in some mm. ways. The, person's, the person whose role it shouldn't be is the writers. They I actually want to change my that. word. Yes? I want to change my word from guided to mediator because this substantive edit and your writing group is a sacred place and there are rules and boundaries to help it work and if something were to go wrong what would that be and does it help to have the mediator there to make sure everything stays kosher yeah yeah look absolutely um i think one of the things i mean in a way it might be useful just seeing as we've identified a couple of mistakes we made in sean's last edit to talk about all the other mistakes we slash i made in previous uh, edits <laughs> in setting them up. So, I mean, one, um, I'll, I'll talk about this, Sean, but if you, if you want to add some thoughts and color, please do. 
uh, during our yeah, please do because it's also your edit, experience too, Sean. Uh, now this was, I think, was this something like ten years ago? I'm not, I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, uh, we had two people, two sort of dedicated workshoppers. So, so Sean. And uh, now, what are we doing with names? We're gonna we're gonna use initials. Sean and Kay and I were uh, were sort of a bit of a trio of of, of workshoppers, I think, at that time. Um, now, I had yeah. another friend, Jay, who was very interested in the concept of the book and was a big fantasy reader, um, and also someone who was sort of very across, uh, I, I guess, what you'd call the the sort of cultural sensitivities that were beginning to bubble up, you know, around literature at that time, uh, and which we discussed in last episode. But so basically she came along and that seemed to me to be a, an excellent addition in a sense, an early version of a sensitivity reader. It did not work out that way. I've somewhat scrubbed it from my memory, but uh, yes, Jay was perhaps not briefed well enough by me in, in the etiquette of workshopping. But I also think that because she hadn't been doing workshopping, I think she possibly lacked the discipline required to engage with texts when there were aspects of them that weren't working for her. She was in a sense switching off as, as readers do, but obviously it would have been much more helpful uh, if it would have been possible to switch off in a in a way that allowed for feedback as well. Um, so I think that was the first of the clangor mistakes in, in setting up uh, a substantive if edit. I can yeah. elaborate on that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I think, first of all, I didn't know Jay at all. So she was this unknown quantity who was going to be sharing something that was quite scary for me. Um, because, again, this was the first read that I'd had of anyone reading my novel in its entirety. I think, you know, while Gareth's intentions were, were really good, um, the, the, the person, Jay, was not as interested as I would have liked. And it's, I'm not saying interested in my work, but as interested in the process and, and what's happening with it and everything, there was very little feedback from that person. So, the you know, when that person was asked to give feedback, um, it would be just thrown to, you know, oh, yeah, I agree with Gareth. Um, and that didn't add anything to the process for me at all. Um, so I think that was probably... Yeah, I think that was a mistake, but, you know, we've learned from it now. Um, and I probably and I, should have spoken up as well myself and said, you know, I'm not really comfortable having a complete stranger read through this. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure I did consult with you before she showed up, but um, really. You did. It wasn't like, oh, my God, there's someone else here. You did say someone else was coming and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> But I really wasn't yeah. comfortable and I should have said something. Yeah. Oh, well, no, yeah. I mean, yes and no. Yeah, I, you, you certainly could have. And then I suppose in that instance, that would have been that. Like, you know, you wouldn't sort of go, well, no, this person's coming and that's how it is. 
But I think the uh, the lesson here uh, is that you know it's not actually something you need to be consulted about because there's a sort of an underlying mistake in bringing someone in who hasn't been part of your workshopping experience. Uh, and I think that's really what it boils down to. Even if uh, Jay had given you useful feedback, there was always a danger it wasn't going to happen uh, because she wasn't sort of familiar enough with your work. She wasn't used to the workshopping process. And I don't think she had sufficient experience of what it is to share your work uh, and perhaps mm. was uh, not being as mindful as she could have been about your feelings and how this was going to affect your reception of of also the yeah. other people's feedback. So it was definitely disruptive. And, uh, you know, as they say in politics, my bad. But also uh, this, this raises <laughs> a, a, a broader thing too, doesn't it? Because, you know, I've, I've always told people this, so I should have seen it. In, in terms of, of Jay, uh, you don't get your friends or your family to be your trusted readers. Uh, in my experience, right. that is always a disaster. Would, would either one of you like to talk to that at all? Yeah, Shannon? Um, I'll quickly go first and then I'll let Sean jump in uh, because before we jumped on this uh, call, Sean had a good experience to share, if you feel comfortable sharing, Sean. I had been working on a short story for a very long time and this was post-COVID and I'd kind of finished up my job and I was like, yeah, this is it. I want to be a full-time writer. This is what I'm doing now. Uh, Gareth and I uh, workshopped a piece. It was ready to go. I sent it off to a competition and then I sent it to my mum to read because I was like, you know, I've got the approval of Gareth. You know, I've got the approval of the group. Like it's, it's ready. It can't be better. I can't make it better at the stage of my writing journey. So I sent it off. I didn't hear back. I was like, oh, okay, maybe I should just call. I mean, it's 5,000 words. It doesn't take that long to read 5,000 words. My mum reads novels in one day. So I give it a wait and then I call her. Hey, mum, how did, how did you find the work? And she's like, yeah, it was, it was good. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not into short stories, but yeah, that's basically what she said. And so, Little to my knowledge, my mom had sent the piece off to my sister. She read it, and then they'd been talking between them. <laughs> and then my sister called up, and she was saying, you know, Shannon, there was this wrong with it, and it was so obvious, and it was just so boring. And mom also agreed. She she told me she just could – she wanted to hurry up and finish it because it was just so boring. It was boring here. It was boring there. It was boring. So – Basically, the word boring was thrown around all the time, and apparently I didn't write my sentences properly, all my paragraphs, everything was wrong with it. And after that point, I made a promise to myself to never share any of my writing with my friends or family. Um, you know, they want to go find my work, they can go find my work, but I'm not sending anything to them ever again. Mm. And it's not to discredit their opinion, Um but saying something's boring or your sentences is wrong is not helpful feedback. It just makes the writer feel shitty about themselves and their work. Um, and also they're not my ideal reader. They don't read short stories. I don't understand like the joys in the structure or anything like that. So it really was an error on my part to do that. 
And yeah, what about you, Sean? Well, in my first um, version of, of this novel, I gave an excerpt to one of my friends um, who, you know, we have similar interests in genre and, and you know, culture and everything like that. Um, and I sent it to her and it was a long time between me sending it to her and then me finally going, did you ever read that that I gave you? Um, and her, oh, yeah, yeah, I read it. Yeah, it was good, but, you know, um, not really. I kind of wanted it to be more of a romance and, you know, wanted it to be this and I wanted it to be that. Um, and I was kind of like, oh, okay, all right, well, you know, can't you just read it and appreciate it for what it is or not appreciate it or, you know, again, not good feedback. Um, and then I did find out later on she told a member of my family that she absolutely hated it and she didn't connect with the characters at all and, like, all of this stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, it would have been nice if we had have been able to have a conversation about it rather than, you know, that whole having that discussion when I wasn't present. And so, yeah, so then I decided that I would not share any of my work with my friends until um, I was supremely confident that um, it was the best possible thing that it could be. And even yeah, even then, that, even now, yeah. I was Sorry, just going to say, even now, I'm very dodgy about that. Sorry, Gary. No, no, not at all. Um, it's hard, isn't it, on a podcast? You you do end up interrupting each other a lot because it's there's a certain lack of body language where you sort of, even though you can see the person, the timing is tough. I, what I was going to say was it's really not a reflection on your work, though, uh, because it could be the best and final version, um, but they're probably not going to like it even then if they're rejecting it so completely in its draft. Uh, and I really think this boils down to a simple idea. So, so I had very different experiences uh, around when I wrote my first novel uh, to both of you. Um, when I was doing university, I was doing creative writing at university, um, I would get A double pluses for every assignment. Now, this was an A double plus meant 100%, which is a, I never, I don't, when I was a teacher, no one really got that close to 100%. It wasn't a question of giving them 99 or anything. No, no one was getting up that mm. high. It's, it's, it's an extraordinary piece of work that would. But I was getting 100% for, for everything. And my fellow students would either say, you know, they thought it was a bit, bit rubbish, um, but most of them would say, you know, it was brilliant. The teachers certainly were constantly telling me that, you know, I was a peerless writer that would, you know, soon be the Shakespeare of my time, essentially. Uh, and this was not only not helpful, uh, but actually quite damaging. I, I didn't, because um, I, you know, I'd read enough to know that the claims around my work were perhaps a little overstated. Uh, but what I didn't get from my workshopping experience was any of the thickening of the skin required, um, you know, to, to move forward. Uh, and also just a complete absence of feedback meant that I wasn't improving 
at all. And I was also assuming that many of the ways in which I still had issues in my writing mustn't be that bad because you can't, it can't be that bad if you get a hundred percent. But what I discovered as I moved out of that fishbowl and out into the ocean, others did not share these views. And it was a little alarming. I got a manuscript assessment and it was like 10 pages, nine pages of very complimentary, encouraging feedback, and one page of supremely intelligent, constructive criticism. There was no point at which I could say to myself, oh, they just don't get it. They got it completely. They knew exactly what I was doing down to the full stop. And they basically pointed out that there were some flaws and they explained what these were and why. It was very good feedback. Um, It was a driftwood manuscript assessment service. So I'm giving them a shout out. Thank you for the feedback all those years ago. (laughs) Um, But it devastated me. I, I, the nine pages I just threw aside and went, what, you know, I basically drilled down on this one page, uh, and, and had a complete panic attack about it. Uh, and as I gradually got my head around the idea that, that I had a lot of work to do and that a novel was actually a lot harder than a short story and I wasn't ready to get published, you know, I, I, basically lacked a lot of the tools to deal with that. And where I picked them up was when I became a teacher at university. As I went into that, not having had any decent workshop feedback myself, I spent a lot of time reading up about classes that gave feedback, how they did it, and tried to find my own version of that, which I kept refining as the years went by. But the focus was very much on it being a collaborative experience, being a writer. Uh, And, you know, we've done... Uh, Shannon, we've done uh, an episode, I've forgotten which one, but we talk about sort of writing groups and, and how they did, in fact, make each other to a large extent. Uh, so, yeah, so yeah. basically strangers, no, uh, not unless they have some sort of uh, qualifications. For example, you know, if you're paying them to give you feedback, you don't need to go to dinner with them first. Uh, but otherwise, the only appropriate people to give you feedback as you develop uh, your drafts, I think, other people within your writing groups. So you have to find a writing group and build yourself into it. Yeah, I agree. And so we were talking about all the good things that come from having a creative writing group and doing a substantive edit, and we were kind of veering into potential mistakes. So one of the mistakes is, Bring someone along who is a stranger that has not been involved in your experience or workshop experience before. Oh, and Um, I would say that I would describe that person as an ideal reader because I understood that her preferred reading matter was very, very much where Sean would be placed if a publisher was going to categorize her. Uh, So that didn't make it bit of difference that that she was an ideal reader it made it she didn't have the grounding and so therefore uh it didn't work and and just another mistake seeing as we're listing out recriminations this was like a confessional um (laughs) in the second substantive edit i'm just getting it all out there now all my mistakes. Yep. In the second substantive edit, I believe it was just the three of us. We had learned from the previous time and and it was just Kay 
and you and I, Sean. But yeah, no, you, you need to have a certain number of people and they, and they need to uh, be able to disagree and give you different shapes, you know, different reading shapes. So I would have said yeah. four minimum, I think, four minimum. I don't know what the maximum would be. That'll be a mistake we'll make down the track. Yeah. And so we've just gone through your two previous experiences of a substantive edit we've listed the mistakes now your third and most recent substantive edit what went well what was your experience on that one that was actually a really good experience um I, and I do think a lot of that is because of my own growth um as a person and as a writer uh, because, you know, I was open to the feedback. Like if I give you a contrast, the first the first edit that we did, um, I was so sure this was like the bestseller of the century. You know, it was it, this was going to be the one. Everyone was going to read through it and go, yeah, it's fabulous. There's no, nothing wrong with it. Of course, that wasn't the case. Um, but having gone through those first two, I approached this one with, you know, a lot more uncertainty around because I, I knew that whatever I thought about the book, it was going to change by the end of that couple of days of having people read through it simply because I'm, like Gareth was saying, I'm no expert on my own work because I'm, I'm too close to it um, and I can't see um, the bigger things around it that could be seen as an issue. So when I approached this structural edit, um, it was with a bit more humility, I think, rather than, yeah, this is the best book in the world. Um, it was, okay, let's see what what's good and what's not good and, again, be the sponge. <clears throat> it was still intimidating and scary, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like, you know, tra-la-la all the way through. And even during the process, I had to approach it differently um, and I know that you guys have done a podcast around feedback. So, you know, in that first one it was me um, arguing a fair bit, if I remember rightly. I don't know if you remember, Gareth, but it's like, no, no, that's because of this. That's because of, of what happens later on or that's because of what happens like before the book started, that kind of thing, whereas my approach to this last one, was more, um, okay, that is your perception of it. That's how you wanted to see it or that's how you felt about reading that paragraph. Like some of the feedback, I was reading through it earlier, some of it was, you know, somebody said they didn't think that chapter needed to be there and, you know, somebody else said, oh, that chapter, it kind of took the wind out of the sails of the story, you know, that that kind of thing. And so I just wrote that down. I, I didn't, you know, make any judgments on that it's it's around being able to just see that's that person's reading around it and if I disagreed I disagreed it wasn't I didn't go no you're wrong it was like oh no I I do feel like that chapter needs to be in there but maybe I need to zhuzh it up a bit so it's got a bit more flow and and doesn't lose its its energy so that's how I sort of approached it differently this time I think also um, we probably got the balance a bit better. We, we had the people you, you knew well had given you feedback before. The number wasn't too low, wasn't too high. And there was a fairly 
I think most people most of the time tried to say why. They didn't just say, you know, this chapter shouldn't be there. They was, and it, that the why can be very difficult. It can be an instinctive thing and you can't always find the why. But even if you throw out yeah. a whole bunch of possible reasons that all turn out to be wrong, often when someone gives you the wrong feedback, I, I've found this, I'm, I would think, well, they've got a point, but I hate that point. I disagree with that point. So <laughs> there must be something else. Let's assume they're right. And this doesn't work for some reason, but the reason they gave is just wrong. I could tell it's wrong. Then I start thinking, how do I know it's wrong? And as I try and piece out that answer, that begins to give you the shape of what the answer maybe should have been that, you know, you can't expect a reader to be able to pull this kind of magic out of their hats, but the, it gives you the tools to find your way, a series of breadcrumbs. And also, uh, I think your um, behavior during the substantive edit was immaculate, which meant that uh, everyone got more and more comfortable and more and more able to focus on what they were reading and giving you honest opinions and scrutinizing their opinions. Uh, and I think the credit to this, besides to you, Sean, obviously, does go to Shannon because Shannon developed that particular way of getting feedback where she quietly takes notes, smiles slightly as though, you know, like those journalists, you know, you're talking and they're writing stuff down. You're like, wait, what are you, what, what are you writing down? She's what writing down these write? things, you know, <laughs> and, and then she just says, hmm, thank you so much. It's very disarming and it's the absolute perfect way to get feedback, isn't it? The, because if you, yeah. when people say something nice, you want to say, oh, you, thanks so much. Yeah, I'm glad. Mm -hmm. But the problem then is if they then say something that's a bit more constructively critical down, down the end, you feel like you always have to respond to that. And then that's where you end up saying defensive things because it's difficult to keep coming up with innovative new ways to respond to feedback. So, so sort of, yeah, not saying anything. Just taking down those those Shannon notes. Uh, that seems to be the way to do it, and and that's something that um, that you know, if I was teaching people uh, today, it's absolutely one of the things I'd teach them. It, it's a neutral space. I also think, though, Gareth, if I can just add to that, when when you are in that scenario. It's not that you're just sitting there passively writing notes. Like I like to ask questions about, okay, so you think, you know, this chapter, you know, is too long or too short or, how, you know, where do you think it lost its mojo? Um, so I can really look into what I need to to really explore and how to change that and how to make it a better a better piece of work. Um, so it's, but you, for me, it's, it's sorry. collaborative. Oh, absolutely. But you did that from my memory at the end of the feedback. So, I mean, if you're as a writer, if you interrupt someone giving you feedback, you, they can lose their thread because often they're hanging on to this chunk of information and, you know, want to get it out, particularly if they have a lot to say. Um, asking questions is, is certainly a good idea. Uh, and it's also good for the other workshoppers if they don't understand the feedback. 
and they have a specific question. And that's where you can get into conversations where it's bouncing around for longer than you would probably prefer it to, but, you know, if it's illuminating and then perhaps a mediator of, of some, you know, an organized person like Shannon, not like me would say, okay, but <laughs> we are, we are way off schedule if we want to get this done, you know, this century. So, uh, you balance all those things, but I think when you're receiving feedback, being quiet is a good idea. And then, yeah. And then following up with questions is a, is a very good thing to do not not just an acceptable thing but a, a great thing to do yeah 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 I agree that's all really interesting and I think you've just given us your experience as a writer entering the substantive edit but mm -hmm. there's two sides of the table or the coin in a substantive edit there's the feedbackers the readers and then there's the writer did you want to talk about your experience as a reader or a feedbacker in that um substantive edit i mean because you've done another one before mm -hmm. and because gareth made a point that the way you took feedback allowed the feedbackers to give better feedback because we've now entered in a very comfortable zone of being completely honest and open about our readings so yeah. did you want to relate to being a reader, uh, both of you, in a substantive edit and what that responsibility is for a feedbacker? I think I kind of approach it as, and, and I got this terminology from Gareth in uni, so I'm just going to say this, I approach it like an onion sandwich um, because there's, I always try and find something good in the work before I'm, I'm like, I, I don't just pounce in and go, oh, this is just rubbish. Um, I like to find good things because that's what I want as, as a writer. I want to know that I've done some things well and I might be able to improve on some other things. So I try and make sure that my, my feedback is constructive. But, you know, in the same vein as what we were saying before about when people were giving me feedback, I think you need to be, you, you basically in in the in the other structural edit that I I did I was a part of it was it was difficult because the person wasn't receiving the feedback well because of that because they didn't um, receive and they it wasn't just my feedback it was the other people they weren't weren't receiving it um, very well I kind of stopped being comprehensive and just started, um, I don't know, like very much choosing what I was saying and choosing what I was addressing and I wasn't very honest because I was quite um, put off by the reception of everyone's feedback. So I was just, you know, <laughs> that kind of that kind of thing. And I, I do think that it really changed the shape of the of the um, of the the edit because people were um, trying to be helpful and constructive, and it just wasn't being received very well. So, yeah, that was it was a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a difficult situation. This was another really, I think, in retrospect, another of Gareth's mistakes. In retrospect, once there had been more than one of these instances, which were all concerning, and they did it, they did become 
they, they, what's the word? They escalated as, as the day went on. Um, it probably would have made sense to pause the, the feedback, uh, much earlier and for, um, myself and the writer to have a little chat about uh, expectations and, uh, you, you know, s safe spaces, if you like, Be because that seemed to get very obscure during the process. Uh, and I did find myself yeah. focused on, now Sean said, I taught an onion sandwich. I Look, I can believe it. I don't remember the past that well. <laughs> I thought it was a compliment sandwich, but if it's an onion sandwich, it's quite a neat... <laughs> Neat thing, isn't it? Like you got the delicious bread and then you're eating raw onion like like Tony Abbott. You're just biting into yeah. this thing and it's alarming. But then you've got the bread. It's fantastic. What are some examples of the notes that you took during the structural edit? Oh, okay. I can get that up for you. So what I did is when I did the um, the feedback, I basically just put notes um, in the column of the chapter and I just did what each person said. Um, and, you know, it might not make sense in out of context, but I, do you want me to give you some examples? Yeah, sure. That would be great. Okay. So I think I've just got in, in one I've got, uh, the first person said um, there's a logical dilemma in this chapter. Um, you need to have this uh, happening um, and get rid of this particular paragraph. And the next person said uh, you need to have this action. It's not happening. You need to fix this character's um, emotion and I would like to see this other character doing um, you know, something horrible to create um, more tension. May I just jump in quickly? I, I just noticed the the, yeah. the word need. See, this is an example of good feedback. Uh, people might think otherwise. Mm. Um, obviously, if you were being very polite, you would say you may want to consider the possibility of, you know, arguably. Mm. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> but you could maybe. Uh, the thing you want with 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 feedback is you, you want the person to be invested in your work as though they'd written it because, in a sense, what's underlying all this is the idea that reading and writing are complementary processes. So when someone says you need to do this, what they're saying is this is my book now and I need to do this. Of course, they can't. So, Sean, you need to do it. Um, but of course, yeah. you know, and you may indeed not need to do it, but it shows a level of engagement of genuine, uh, you know, that you're being treated incredibly seriously at that point that your, your writing is, yeah. you know, you're not getting patted on the head. This person is committed, engaged and on team Sean plus everyone else, uh, you know, it's the, a gestalt kind of idea, like we're a hive mind. Uh, and although the writer yeah. ultimately will make the decisions, uh, it's it's really exciting when people have an urgency about their feedback because they're really saying this thing could be the best thing that I've ever written 
as a, someone who's just reading it and it needs this stuff. Yeah. And that's exciting, I find, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, how did you find it? So I, say I'm, I'm just curious whether you found it. Oh, look, you're back. I was just uh, curious whether you found it exciting when people were sort of being that um, passionate Forward. about their and certain in their readings. Were you, were you able to enjoy that look, without feeling? I really, yeah, I enjoyed having the feedback. I do, you know, there was a, a certain couple of points that, I got a little bit irritated um, and it was mostly because somebody came up with a better idea than mine. So that was just my ego. <laughs> and it was like, damn it, why did I think of that? Um, but then, you know, I've, I probably will have incorporated that into the the next version because I really liked that idea. And why wouldn't you? Um, I, mean, I loved Sorry. Exactly, I mean, exactly. Because it is the person, the feedback is feedback. They are responding to what you read. Yeah. And, again, it's a mystery to the writer. So uh, someone, you know, I could imagine someone saying, well, if it's not your idea, should you be using it? But that is um, that is really misunderstanding both the concept of originality, which is an almost impossible thing to achieve in the way that we like to talk about originality, but also... Mm. Any feedback you get is a response to your writing. And the interplay of meaning that occurs within a passage of text, if that brings that out in the feedback, that's because it's in the text. It's already there in some form. Yeah. And so, you know, you get the credit for that. That's how this works. I think that's very important. Yeah, oh, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I, I think, and I was mentioning this to you the other day, Gareth, at the end, like when we actually finished the whole read through, we didn't get to the end. We got to, I think the, I don't know, there was still a couple of chapters left, but we had decided to cut that completely and change, make all these changes. So we made the last few chapters Obsolete. And there was the pizza party. Um, Something had to give. Uh, yeah, I know, right? Pizza was way more important. <laughs> um, but I think what I really loved about that whole experience was we, we'd stopped and we were all just chatting away and, and whatever, but I could hear, you know, a couple of, of you had paired off and were talking about the work. You were talking about the concepts within the within the novel um, and, you know, how this would open doors to this, this and this and that was, I loved that because that meant to me that I was on the right track. I was, I was writing stuff that people were actually happy to talk about and think about and that is where I see the, the feedback. When I look at the feedback, um, I go, you know, these are people that were really engaged in my work and they've, uh, you know, offered some really good constructive ideas and maybe some criticisms um, and that's okay. I was able to work with that but it was like you say, Gareth, it was because you guys were engaged in what I was writing. And, I mean, the, and, oh, um, sorry. It sounds, sorry, you go, Gareth. I, well, I was going to out you, Shannon, as the one who had the really good feedback 
And the reason I'm outing you is because I thought it was really good feedback too. And from that point on, it was influencing my reception of the book. It was, it was, you know, unavoidable. It, it was very good feedback. We won't go into the specifics because that's uh, spoilers, but, um, yeah, I, I found my reading was warped, if you like, by that feedback in a good way. It changed the shape of my reading thereafter. And I think it did for a number of the others. I think there might have been one person who didn't agree, and I think it warped their reading slightly the other way. Uh, and that's interesting. And you get such great outcomes. And I think, Sean, you're right. Everyone was really engaged. The energy in the room at the end of a really long day was very high mm. and everyone was, I think, inspired by, by it, uh, inspired by your work and the process and the, the company as well. Uh, to have a group of trusted readers is an incredible resource and privilege, I think, something I'm very excited about. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I can agree with that. How did you find the process, yeah, Shannon? Yeah, so... <laughs> Um, so this was my first substantive edit to give to someone and I was a newbie to the creative writing group and I felt this nervous apprehension because it's you're being vulnerable on both sides of the table. The writer is being vulnerable because they're presenting a work and you are being vulnerable as a reader giving your feedback, especially if you're new. It's like I... I like these people, I respect these people, and I don't want to say something that's going to create uh, needless tension. So I remember going into it uh, feeling that. And then I remember a certain point of definitely becoming engaged with the work and wanting it as the reader to go a particular way. And then, as you said, Shanda, you did a great job of just making me feel comfortable giving you that feedback. I'm going to throw this back to you, Gareth, because being engaged in the reading, it's, as you said, it's, a, it's not a structural edit per se. It's not a developmental edit per se. We as a reader are coming in and we're trying to figure out what makes it tick. Why am I, what, what do I want to feel at the end of this story? How can we get it to this point? What's stopping that? And you've come up with a term for this, the clockwork. Did you want to talk about the clockwork, Gareth? Yeah, um, I do. And I mean, so basically, um, when I started coming up with this idea, I was thinking of a small machine. It has been put to me that machinery lacks the romance that creative writers want. So I thought clockwork, you know, it has a slightly Victorian quality, bit of steampunk in there, clockwork. If we accept that, that stories are what happen to readers, and I think that is by far the best definition I've ever heard of what a story is. A story is what happens to a reader. So something happens, and then you have to ask yourself how it happens. What devices have been used to create this effect on the reader? When you can put that together you have the essence of the piece. It may be that you get different effects on different readers, but if the piece is successful, somehow those gears will still come up with a useful purpose. Uh, so 
so what you're trying to pull out with the clockwork or the essence or the machinery or whatever you, you know, you decide to call it is this point where the, the technique and the meaning or the emotional reaction coincides in a way that you can articulate. And so when we were doing our uh, substantive edit with Sean, I was determined to be able to articulate the clockwork of her story to her, as I understood it. It was a big thing for me. I really wanted to yeah. do it. I did do it, and I can't remember what it was. <laughs> um, so, yeah, during the substantive edit, we were nutting out that clockwork or the fragrance for you, and then the aftermath of that during the pizza party, which I could not attend because I was away, people went into groups and they were talking about this. So what does this work mean for me? What does it mean for you? That's what I want to get to. Like what was the aftermath, not just during the pizza party, which sounds amazing, but the next day and the next week? What did it look like now that you've sat down, done the substantive edit to moving forward with your work? Um, well, first of all, I I was absolutely inspired and I just for the first time I felt like I was on the right track, that I knew exactly what I needed to do. Um, and, you know, I knew what, what was working, what wasn't working, what needed to be redone. And I came back home and yeah, I got a really overwhelmed. It was overwhelming for me because I had so much work to do. Um, like you said, it's a big work uh, and, you know, obviously it might not stay that way. But when I thought about all the things that I was inspired to change and rewrite and, and you know, a, a whole world had to be redone and, and things like that, I did get overwhelmed. It took me a couple of weeks of kind of like just reading through the feedback um, and looking at what I had already written and looking at how I was going to restart again basically I mean I have not had to start again but I have to start from the beginning and fix the things that need to be rewritten um so yeah it took me a couple of weeks um before I was feeling like not so overwhelmed and determined to go through the process again and I'm happy to say that the process continues um, I think if I have a look, I can tell you where I'm at. Yeah, so I'm pretty much, I'm at, I think I've rewritten like up to 14 chapters now. Um, Out of how many chapters in the book? Um, well, previous versions had probably about 40 chapters. And so, you know, there's obviously varying degrees of, of my ability to be able to write because I work full time. So, you know, I have to write in the smaller spaces of the day. <laughs> but I, I definitely, you know, after I got over that, and even now sometimes I think, oh, when I get to that part, I've got so much to do. It doesn't stop me. It just, you know, I just have to take a breath and just you tackle it one, you know, one paragraph at a time basically. It, the whole process validated what I was trying to do and, it made me feel like it was definitely worthwhile working on. So if I'd have come away feeling disheartened um, and like you know, nobody really got it, I probably it would have been a long time between 
that process and me wanting to start writing again. There's also, you you mentioned uh, starting from the beginning in a sense, but and indeed, you, you, you would, um, inevitably drafts are like that. People, I think, imagine drafts not being like that, but they really are. John Irving, uh, said that his greatest skill as a writer was that he had a peculiar endurance for just writing and rewriting, starting at the start, going to the end. He did, he'd often do 20 drafts of his books and they're like 800 page books. Extraordinary. Uh, resilience mm-hmm. but but also just um, because I, I think one thing I did not explain and, and it's it's very important is why finding the essence actually matters um, this is a feedback fundamental like you should say why as well as how and I uh, I forgot so oh, having one of those days but so the the, the point of the uh, the clockwork um, and now I'm, I'm sliding back to clockwork because I'm thinking about Rosetta Stones. So you know, if you're familiar with Rosetta Stones, they are essentially a key to reading code. Um, and I would say that the clockwork, once you understand what a piece is in its deepest sort of essential self, you can then go through the structure and go, does the structure fit this thing this, this, this key that I have. And if it doesn't, there's probably a problem with the structure. And you find that you work your way down to the individual sentences and it gives you a degree of clarity and certainty. It's, it's, it's quite reassuring to, ha- to really understand the essence of what you're attempting to do. And typically in a first draft, you don't know. I never have. I like, I think I have an idea and then no. I start writing it and it's nothing like that. So apparently I've completely abandoned my idea, but sometimes you find out you haven't, you've approached it a different way. And then you start to see the effect on the reader and how you got there it wasn't what you intended. And then you start to see which of your creative decisions actually help that and which ones don't. Poe called this the, uh, the total effect, um, and said it wasn't possible in a novel. Um, but I disagree. I think it is possible. It's just much, much harder. And it's really helpful to have multiple people chipping away, trying to find their version of that. Lots and lots of versions of this Rosetta Stone will give you yours as the writer, I think. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that because the clockwork that I've got for this novel, um, it's um, it brings me back. So if I'm... You know, because as a writer you can go off on some tangent and you're like, oh, I don't even know where I'm going with this. But if you go back to your clockwork, you can go, oh, yeah, this is not going to fit or this is a great part of it um, in terms of that. It keeps you on track. It really does, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And um, just wrapping up, uh, what is some advice that you can give to people that are – wanting to or are going back, going through the feedback and editing process? You have to, like, pick up your ego and put it way, 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 way away from you. And I I think not only that in terms of when people are, are giving you that feedback, you need to be open to their interpretation of your work. You can't enforce your interpretation onto them um, and it it will quite often 
have kind of like a filter over what you're doing. So your idea is not to create a work that everyone can see your filter. It's that they can appreciate it through their filter. And I think you have to be very open in order to understand what they're saying, where they're coming from. Because I think right at the beginning, Gareth said, you know, you can't pop into a reader's lounge room after they've finished your book and said it's complete rubbish um, and explain why it's not rubbish. Um, if they don't like your book, they don't like your book. There it is, you know, and, and that's really not your business. Your business is to write the best possible book that you can write from your experience um, and getting that feedback helps you to to do that. So it helps you to understand how other people are perceiving what you're saying so you can say it clearer. Not so you need to change it to suit them, but so you can say it more clearly and succinctly to them, if that makes sense. It certainly does. Yeah, that does. And that's a that's a great point. Thanks. To, yeah. Did you have anything to add, Gareth? Because I think that's a fantastic point to wrap up on. No, I wouldn't dare, to be honest. It was a fantastic point. Anything I say <laughs> now is going to seem really <laughs> trivial and terrible. So, no, I just <laughs> brava. That is, and, and, you know, I said before oh, that I, I, I take Sean very seriously as a writer and, you know, I hope that readers, readers, I hope that uh, viewers and listeners to this podcast can see why now, because this question of what is a, what is a writer plagues people. But I think uh, we have a portrait of a writer right in front of us who's also really rocking that <laughs> blue top. Who wore it best, folks? Put that down. In the comments below, I know it won't be me, uh, which is sad. Like and subscribe. Uh, hit those buttons. Hit those buttons. See, I'm trying to learn to do it the way you're meant to do it. Buttons. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much for joining us today, Sean. We've really appreciated it. And thank you for sharing your experience. So that's a wrap, guys. Keep writing and keep getting feedback because your work will get better and it's a, it's a great – it's part of the creative process. It really is. And so, yeah, until next time, everyone. Thanks, See you later. Thanks, Bye. Bye. Bye.